welcome everyone once again to the latest episode of the 49ers Future Podcast. We're finally on episode six, and we got things moving right along here. I'm one of your hosts, Y2 Amanaki, also one of the moderators over at the 49ers, or over at the Football's Future Forums, uh, the 49ers Forum specifically, and with me is my co-host and co-moderator, Forge. Forge, welcome once again to, to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? How's everybody doing? How you doing? I'm doing well. I don't know why I just welcomed you to a podcast that you are also the host of, but I felt it was it was polite. It was a polite thing to do. It, it, it was it was very polite. I have no idea like what that opening was for me, like just how, you know, hello, everybody. And I'm clearly stumbling over my own words. I have no idea what's going on. This is for everybody who's unaware. So we usually record on Sunday. This is Monday. So I think it might be throwing me off just a tad bit. Because usually I'm working right now, and clearly I do not put 100% into my work. So I'm in work mode right now, where I'm only about 75% of my normal forgeness. Well, to be fair to you, when we, we create the outlines, we only ever put the word intro and then one to two minutes. So it's it's always wide open, however it's going to go. And then this week, it just it went this way. So, so I you know, I was... Obviously, this weekend was a big weekend um, with regards to the 49ers. And I discovered the problem with your team getting better, right? Yeah. And it's it's that cut down day isn't nearly as fun as it used to be. It is, you know, you look around at all the people that are cut and it's just kind of like, eh. You know, in the past, it was a very exciting time because we wanted to grab people that, you know, developmental guys that we might have liked in the draft. And this year just wasn't really wasn't wasn't really too exciting. There wasn't anything I saw um, out and about on the on the wire that, you know, that got me excited. No, what's what's exciting is the fact that we have a team that seems pretty whole. Uh, you know, it's not it's a team that does have flaws, uh, which we should expect after how bad the team was in 2016 when when the rebuild started. But Otherwise, I mean, there's there's a lot of good pieces uh, in the starting lineup and there's a lot of good depth around the team. So I think that's the that's the exciting part is that cut down day didn't have to be exciting anymore. It's 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 a fun it's a fun feeling. But that said, you did you find any surprises with the initial 53? I mean, the the first one that immediately stuck out was was the fourth tight end. I, I don't know what Levi and Toilolo showed Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch outside of maybe incriminating photos that allowed him to end up on the roster. Uh, but that was the big one, of course, because that one just kind of blew my mind. That to me was also the biggest surprise because this whole process, we're trying to find the the places where we're going to cut a quarterback so that way we can stash an extra player. And little did we know that uh, extra player was going to be in the tight end group uh, <laughs> where we, you know, Personally, I I didn't care for any of the backups. I mean, I think Caden Smith was the only one that I would have probably kept. I, I, I predicted Dwelly would be kept, but I think we could have went away with just Kittle and Caden uh, Smith, and I would have been fine for now until Selleck got back. But we kept uh, we kept Dwelly over him the entire time. We kept Toilolo. So my guess is that Toilolo is more about the the blocking. That that probably is an indication that they're not quite happy where. Dwelly and Caden Smith are. I mean, it seems like we're we're keeping two tight ends to fill the job of one Garrett Selleck, who uh, I've thought was replaceable for the last seven years. So what do I know? I don't know. Maybe this is just a position I'm not I'm not I'm not a good at. I, I will say that it led to like one of my favorite explanations from John Lynch on the roster, which was that he he made a statement that you know after somebody had had 
questioned the fourth tight end about how they didn't want to lean on on George Kittle that much. You know, they, they didn't want to put everything on him. And it just struck me as, as kind of humorous because I'm wondering why nobody told him that Levine Toilolo is not the answer to that problem. I got a, I got a good chuckle out of that response about like, you know, hey, we're not we don't want to we, we don't want to put everything on Kittle. Just the idea that Levine Toilolo is the solution there made me giggle a little bit, I, w- I will admit. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't quite get that one. Obviously, I wasn't I, we, I mean, it wasn't a surprise, but I, I, I could have done without Bethard on the 53. That would have been fine with me. I, I don't think there's a need to carry three, but whatever. But the, the, the biggest one was was absolutely that fourth tight end, which was just really bizarre to me. Yeah, I I'm still kind of lost as to, to what the reason is. I'm hoping maybe there's some red zone packages or something they've developed that they haven't showed in the preseason that maybe Toilolo or Caden Smith are a little bit more important to. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. That said, uh, looking at the 53, did you think there's a position where we have needs that just went unmanaged? The the, the problem with this question is is that I don't know how how we could have managed the offensive line depth any better or any differently because there's just nothing out there. That's why we saw so many trades for these seventh and eighth offensive linemen moving around guys like Evan Bohm and Russell Bodine got traded and Wyatt Teller and, and Teller actually made a nice return. He was a fifth round pick and he returned a fifth and a sixth after starting eight games. Uh, so I think this is just a, you know, the offensive line depth is, is just a league wide problem that nobody feels comfortable. And I think everybody's sort of just going with this idea of the, the grass is always greener or, you know, hey, this guy's probably not any good, but he can't be any worse than what we've got. So, I you know, I wanted to say the offensive line, but I, I really can't because I don't know that there's anything we can do. There's There was nothing on the wire, nothing. No, you know, vets got cut that were interesting. The most interesting players are still the unsigned free agents like Ryan Schrader and Gary Gilliam and Brandon Fusco, who are just sitting out on the market anyway. So, yeah, no, I mean, that would have been my biggest thing. And I just, I, I don't think that there was anything we could have done. So I'm going to give the, the front office and the staff a pass on that because I, I just think their hands are tied. I, I just don't think there's anything there. Not just a pass, but I think, you know, they don't get enough credit for the team they built. I mean, we we pick on John Lynch a lot and for good reason. I mean, he's made some some poor decisions with contracts. Um, you know, we, we pick on Shanahan a lot for some of the, the players that like Beathard that he's just overly attached to but looking at the roster three years removed from a from a complete and total rebuild where what i think we have like four or five players that are still holdovers from previous regimes um staley buckner armstead ward tart and blair i think that might be the only one the only other one that i was missing i mean the turnaround is impressive because it's a team that that looks like it can compete overall so i agree with you i think that the depth on the offensive line is poor but I also agree with you that there's there's nobody else that was out there. Uh, I think keeping Justin School over Sam Young is is one that is a little head scratching. Other than the fact that they clearly didn't see anything in Sam Young that they felt was reason to keep him over a sixth round rookie. If any of the tackles go down, we know that's that's basically it for the season. I mean, I guess the good thing is is that as you pointed out, Gary Gilliam and um, Fusco are still on the the free agent list. They have experience with our team with our system under head coach Shanahan. So maybe we can look at that as temporary depth, as long as they remain available. If we have an emergency, maybe that's the route we go rather than putting, putting school in for a, for a start. We'll see. I thought he looked better after the fourth preseason game. 
than he had in any of the others. So I, I was fairly happy about that. I think practice squad, he would have obviously made it, but the team felt like keeping him over young and I can't, I can't fault them too much. I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, given that there isn't anything out there offensive line wise, you know, it might've just come down to the fact that they didn't feel comfortable exposing him to the waiver wire. I, you know, it's, it's possible that a team would have picked them up. I, I don't know. Like I would have liked to have thought that he would have made the practice squad uh, but there's no guarantee on that because that the offensive line depth across the NFL is just so bad. And when you see these these very marginal players, I mean, Russell Bodine is one of the worst centers I've ever seen. And he returned a sixth round pick. You know, uh, Seattle is running with, I believe, Marcus Martin as their starting center right now uh, due to injury in part. But, you know, we we know what Marcus Martin is. So. That's, I mean, that's horrible. So maybe they just decided, you know, like, hey, the intent was Sam Young was going to be our swing tackle, but we like school and, you know, there's some potential there down the line. And yes, in an ideal world, we'd put him on the practice squad, but we can't risk exposing him at this point. So we're just going to keep him and let Sam Young go because guys like Young and Gilliam and Ryan Schrader are likely still to be available down the line if any injuries were to occur. Let's take a look now at the position groups. Um, do you think there's anyone that we kept too too many players? So we talked about tight end. Obviously, that's that's going to be one of them. Do you think there was anywhere else where we could have done with a, a few players fewer for for spots somewhere else? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it really for me was was tight end and uh, quarterback. I, I didn't care to keep three quarterbacks. I seldom do, and I don't see enough in C.J. Beathard to make it make it worth my while. Outside of that, I thought everything else pretty much lined up. You can, you know, you can debate the, the receivers, I guess, but with Hurd being questionable for week one, and we discussed this in the 53-man preview, if, you know, if everybody was healthy, we might only keep six, but everybody's not healthy, and with Taylor definitely out and Hurd likely out, you're pressing up against it if you've only got four active and healthy wide receivers. And, and then we have other guys who are banged up who probably will play, but they're still not 100%. So the, the tight end position and the quarterback position were the biggest two. Other than that, I thought everything was pretty much in line with, with where it should be. Uh, and I didn't see any other, you know, major issues or too many players kept. Yeah. I think all of the position groups, you know, once Contavious street went on injured reserve and we brought back Exum, um, I think all of the position groups look, good as as good as they possibly could coming coming into the season given you know where we are in the rebuild given all the players that were added over the you know over the off season i i think this is right around as good as we could have hoped for there's some positives coming out and i i think especially when you look at the the safety position i'm a lot happier with tarverius Moore there and how well he played in the preseason that that makes me feel a little bit better about that position when that looked like the you know the easiest one where we had an easy need so I agree with you. I think there's, you know, outside of quarterback, which I, I agree I would have kept just two, um, and tight end, I think I, I think the rest of the roster looks fine. And even saying that, you know, if we get rid of a tight end and we get rid of Bethard, I don't know what other two two players you keep. Do you keep an extra linebacker maybe? Do you keep an extra running back? I, I guess it depends. There weren't any egregious snubs, in my opinion, uh, with regards to, you know, who came off the roster. Nobody that, you know, I'm, I'm really upset that we lost or anything like that. So the fourth tight end of the third quarterback probably didn't impact us a lot uh, with regards to, you know, who we were keeping. So it's fine. I, I think, you know, if something comes available later on, you know, that that's something that we 
kind of have a little bit of flexibility because you really don't need someone like Toy Lolo there. And so you have this roster spot that can can be messed around with a little bit should somebody really intriguing get cut or something like that a, a little bit later on down the line. So here's one I'll throw at you um, since I just read about it. I think it was on our forum. Might have been um, might have been on somewhere else within the the football's future community. But uh, Melvin Gordon uh, just started following the 49ers Instagram account. So he's seeking permission for a trade. It looks like he might have gotten that. Seems interested in our team. What do you think about that? No, I've never been a Melvin Gordon fan. Last year was his first his first really good season. Uh, he's always been more of a a fantasy player as opposed to like an NFL player. Last year he was great, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But prior to that, he you know he was just not efficient at all. And I think we don't need a top level running back. He can follow us on Twitter. That's great. I, you know, I just have no interest in, especially parting with assets for for a player that I don't know is as good as he thinks he is, and isn't really necessary to this run game for it to be successful. I, I find with Coleman and Brita and Mostert, I think that's a really good core, and I think it's going to be very effective. I, I just, you know, I mean, it's it's fun to think about, I guess, but I I just don't see the true upside with having with having Melvin Gordon in this offense when I don't think he's a great player. I think he's fine. I just, I mean, with his, his career basically just being one really good year, which was last year, and then a couple of inefficient years, he's better than I thought he was going to be when he was coming out. I, I actually was not a huge fan of him as, as a prospect, but... I just I don't see the point. I'm I'm really happy with our running back group and 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 I don't want to part with any assets and I don't want to pay the man. So I agree with you uh, on all three of those. I'm happy with our roster. I I don't want to pay a running back big big amounts because we saw what happened with McKinnon. How that's how that works out for running backs and you know Melvin Gordon himself has only played a 16 game season once. So <laughs> that's that's definitely not a reason. And I don't want to give up any draft picks at this point for for any player. Um, I mean, it would the only the only way that would ever come to come to mind is if there was just a, a desperate need around the trade deadline, and we thought that was a player that can help us compete for a championship. If we're like six and two, seven and one, then okay, then maybe somebody. But otherwise, for now, keep all our draft picks. Let's go. I just thought it was an interesting, you know, interesting person to talk about. I will say that the part about being a fantasy football runner that would be appealing to our team is he he knows how to find the end zone. Um, he's had over he's had over double digit touchdowns the last few years. So it's the it's the one piece that I wish we had. But I'm hoping somebody on the team, um, maybe one of the young receivers can can help out there. So moving along, uh, who are you excited that really made um, or who, who has you really excited that made the team? So for me, I'm going to go first because usually I do this and you steal my answer and I feel it might be the <laughs> guy. Um, I'm going uh, Aziz Alshir. I was very excited that that he he made the team. I was excited when I saw the cuts going on. And, you know, first Mayo came out and then Elijah Lee was cut and that that all but sealed it for for Al Shayer. I think that's a smart move. I think he's going to be a good linebacker and he he can compete to start down the road. And what's nice is if he if he does really well and if he's back this year, you know, Quan Alexander, maybe he maybe he becomes superfluous in the next year or two with that contract. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good thing you went first because he would have been the first name out of my mouth. It's very easy to root for a guy who had such a brutal injury his his last year in college and then, you know, was an undrafted free agent and makes the roster. Those guys are very easy to root for. So he probably would have been 
my my selection. So good on you for going first there. Uh, I will go in another way. And I'm I mean, I'm not super stoked about, you know, anybody because I, I think everything sort of fell in the way it should have. Uh, but I'll take I'm happy that we kept Kendrick Bourne over Jordan Matthews. Matthews is fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with him. I thought Bourne shot himself in the foot repeatedly with the drops. But I think that there's something there a little bit. Now, I don't think he's great or anything. I do just think he's mostly a rotational receiver, but I think he's got some decent versatility. I think you could probably play him as sort of a bigger slot, and you could also play him in that Z roll. And he's was our most effective red zone threat last year, so that's always good. Obviously, Hurd's going to come in at some point and, and take over that role, I would imagine. But I, I just I, – I, there's a little bit more upside with with Bourne as opposed to Matthews, and I know a lot. Matthews had a lot of supporters, but Bourne just for me, I, I I don't think I'm done investigating what he is at this point, and I kind of know what Jordan Matthews is, and I think what Matthews is and what Bourne is now are pretty similar. For me, the question was, okay, is 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 Bourne does Bourne have like another gear, maybe just something a little bit better? than what he's shown. And I'm not ready to write that off as of yet. So if I had to select somebody else besides Al Shire, it would probably be Bourne because he was very much on that bubble. So I like Bourne. I, th- I think that's a good call. I'm glad he made it over Matthews as well. I, I really liked Matthews signing when it happened because we didn't have any of the the, the rookie receivers yet. But once Hurd and Samuel came in and they both played well, he became somebody that I didn't see any need for on the roster just because I don't think he's going to, develop further than he ever has at this point. He is what he is, and he's just a guy. Bourne might be that as well, but at least he has that, you know, a little bit more upside, and maybe we can get a good year out of him, sign him to a relatively long-term deal for for pretty cheap. I think that's the kind of receiver he could be, which is it's nice to have on the back end. Moving along, uh, let's talk about the practice squad, the, the last group of guys who kind of made the team. Uh, we have 10 guys on the squad, all but one of them. We're, we're on the, the original 90-man roster, so a lot of guys that were on the team all offseason were guys that we wanted to keep. So even even looking at the practice squad, we didn't really reach out among all the cuts to, to fill anything. Who's on the who's on the practice squad that you like? Everybody? I, I, I mean, I don't know. This is such an interesting thing because I look at our practice squad, and honestly, like, could it have worked out any better? I I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a different opinion. I, I think it's it's – Almost perfect. I mean, Elijah Lee, Marcel Harris, guys that we thought were going to, uh, you know, potentially make the 53. And then we had to cut them. And it's like, well, it's that there's tough cuts coming. And now they're just kind of sitting around waiting to, to be called up. If we have an injury, I think that's perfect. It's it's like having a, a fifth safety on the roster. It's like having a, a sixth linebacker. Um, things that we've kept in the past that this year we can't because of needs at other spots. But here they are. They're still going to be in practice. Sure, they're going to be mirroring mirroring quarterbacks and running backs and receivers but the point is i mean they're 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 there they're around if we if we have a need at least for now which is great yeah i i thought that was really i mean i quote unquote exciting i guess i hate to use that word but just looking at the practice squad i mean elijah lee was a somewhat surprising cut for me just because i think i might have incorrectly thought that he was in a battle with like mayo and zocha and it, I think that battle might have actually been Lee or Al Shahir and then Nizocha versus Mayo, which makes a little bit more sense. Because I thought Lee had 
the advantage over Nizocha because he's a little cheaper, he's younger, and he has more defensive versatility. He can play any of the three linebacking positions. He can't do them all that well, but he can play all three. And I don't know that Nizocha can do that. So uh, he was a little bit of a surprise. And then for him to end up back on the, you know, on the practice squad is, is pretty amazing because, you know, he has a lot of familiarity with the defense. He, he knows his roles. So having him there was was really nice. As you said, Marcel Harris, I've never been a huge fan. I, I think he's far too limited to a, a, as a box safety. And I think those those players are, are sort of dying off. But, you know, for him to be on the roster last year, get some playing time, look pretty OK, and then end up back on the squad was was really nice. And of course, Jeffrey Wilson, which was the one I think everybody was was overly concerned that we were going to lo- that we were going to lose. Uh, he's back, so if we do suffer an, uh, an injury to to one of the running backs, we have a guy who can come up and, and be competent and offer a little something different. And then, of course, your guy, Valoga, also made the squad. So yeah, um, Valoga was a was a guy that I you know was cheering for all preseason. He came in that first game uh, against the Cowboys, showed up right away uh, after only being on the team for a couple days, and you know he he took. He took his opportunity and he ran with it. There was no chance he was going to make the squad. Demontre Moore couldn't make the squad. That's probably uh, the cut that most people care about. And I'll get to that in just a second. But Balawaga, he was there. He did well and he made the practice squad. He's somebody we can potentially look to next year when Blair's gone and say, hey, did you develop and, and see where he's at? I like that. I think that's uh, I'm really excited about that. Excited to have Gibbons back as well. He was the guy I thought had the most chance of being claimed out of all the cuts. And nobody cut him or nobody claimed him. So he's another guy that, you know, next year when we're missing Sheldon Day, he looked a lot like Sheldon Day (laughs) playing. So I think that's that's fantastic. Uh, I I, I agree. And I I think that's the big thing. I think that's one of my favorite things about the uh, the practice squad is that we do have two guys who could very easily just come up and replace the guys like Blair and like Day next season, you know, next man up type situation where we don't have to to pay out Blair and, and Day and maybe Armstead, maybe not. I don't know what's going on there because I mean, right now, obviously, there's there's some finagling that can be done with the salary cap. You know, I wouldn't expect Jet back and, and a, a couple other people, but we're not in the greatest cap position next year. Uh, we have the rollover from this year, and that's basically what we're banking on. And then, you know, we've got Buckner who's going to need a new contract. Kittle is also able to be extended this offseason uh, after the season, I believe. So, I mean, obviously that won't affect the salary next year, but it's, it's things to keep in mind. So, you know, our salary cap situation isn't ideal. It's not bad by any means, but it's not great and it's not perfect, you know, without some, without some changes that are made. So I like the idea that we can bring up these guys who are very young, very cheap, that can replace – Guys like Day, who just by the nature of them having experience, are going to make a little bit more money, having shown some things in the NFL. So, you know, paying Givens the the minimum salary, as opposed to even just paying Day like you know, 1.5 million a year, that it's important. You know, there's little there's little differences add up. So, uh, I'm really excited about that, particularly for the defensive line. We we talked about 2011 and how this team compares to it a lot in this podcast in the first few episodes. And here's another you know, example of that. If you remember in 2011, we had uh, guys like Ian Williams, Demarcus Dobbs, Will Tukuafu, who were, who were competing for the practice squad and then played um, significant rotational ro- uh, roles. Tony Tony Dradetti, I think, was uh, 
2012 he came in um same thing so uh it feels good to have that depth again um hopefully hopefully these guys can do the same thing you know maybe Gibbons comes up and he he develops into a starter someday that'd be that'd be just as cool I like it yeah, absolutely, and and I, I'm I'm really kind of surprised that none of our cuts were were picked up elsewhere, uh, because you know I, I thought you know a lot of these guys did flash at, at various times, so uh, you know especially Givens was really nice to get to get on that that practice squad, and we 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 do have a nice history of of turning out guys such as Givens and making them useful players, as you just mentioned with with guys like Ian Ian Williams, uh, who uh, I think would have been much better had the injury bug not gotten to him, so. Uh, you know, I, I agree 100 percent. It's just nice to have that depth and, and, you know, look towards the future and feel OK about the guys that we may potentially be losing next year. So talking about guys that we lost, obviously, there were some some big cuts that happened in the at the cutdown time. Um, Demontre Moore stood out as one that was, you know, a lot of people thought he had a real chance to make the team. We both talked about it and had different predictions for it last week. Uh, what do you think about Demontre Moore not making it, uh, given that the team only kept nine defensive linemen? I was a little bit surprised because I I thought he had you know the reports were that he had he had done really well in camp and then he played well during preseason he didn't he didn't play poorly at all uh, I think he did as much as you could hope for or expect so I was a little bit surprised in the end obviously carrying ten was always something that we didn't know uh, whether or not that was going to happen. You know, it's it's a lot to carry on that roster, and obviously it became a definitely not something we could do with three quarterbacks and four tight ends. But uh, I, you know, it makes sense that he was the first man gone if we weren't going to carry ten. So yeah, I get it. Um, he didn't get claimed either. So you know, I know uh, I, I can't remember the poster, but you know, it basically stated that uh, Moore was the type of guy who who shows out against second, third, and fourth stringer players you know offensive linemen and and maybe that's exactly what he is so i could totally understand why he he wasn't kept and why he wasn't claimed obviously his play might have been slightly less indicative of what he actually is as a player than we thought i i'm glad you brought up that poster who had talked about uh him standing out against second third and fourth stringers i i too can't remember who had said that but you know, when it was said, I thought about it, and that made a lot of sense for for Demontre Moore. I mean, he's a guy. Last year, 2018, he was cut by the Raiders. The Raiders, who had only 13 sacks last year, desperately needed an edge rusher, and he he couldn't even make that roster. Then he goes to the the AAF and hit the caliber of opponent he had is Daniel Brunskill, and that's the same caliber of opponent he's had all preseason. I mean, those are the guys he's he's shined against. It's not like when he was. Um, you know, thrust against the Dallas starters that he he showed out a lot. We didn't really start talking about him until uh, he started playing the backups a little bit more. So maybe that is maybe that is just the case. And certainly, no other team took a took a chance on him. So something happens, and earlier in the season, you know, we start getting the injury trouble. Hopefully, he's another guy who's just out there, and you know, we might have like a pseudo sixty man roster going on here. <laughs> but that said, you know, the the roster is now set. We finally have the fifty three. So now it's time to, to move past the preseason, move past the offseason. Less than one week from today, our season starts. We face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's talk about let's talk about the 53 now. And let's see what you know we think throughout the year. So Garoppolo looked much better uh, against the Chiefs than they did against the Broncos. Uh, looked to be moving in the right direction there. Obviously, he's going to be the starter. We don't have any question about that. What do you think the passing offense does this year? 
there, there is probably a higher variance in potential outcomes for this passing offense than a lot of teams, most of the teams in the NFL, I think. So I have a lot of faith in Shanahan. That's that's the first and foremost, right? He's he's brilliant. And he turned this offense into a very average offense last year. And I know that sounds almost like a, a backhanded compliment, but it's not when you consider that it was led by Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard for 75% of the season. That's amazing. I have a lot of faith in him. Garoppolo is going to have some ups and downs. Um, we've commented on that before. His, his inexperience is going to bite us at times. The thing is, is that I don't know how he's going to – Assuming that we are competitive in most games, and I do anticipate that we are going to be competitive in most games, is that I don't know how he's going to structure the offense. So personally, I would love to run the ball a lot. I would love to see as much as possible a like 50-50 split. And there's not a ton of teams that really do that. You know, it's it's always for the most teams outside of you know Seattle and Baltimore, uh, it's slanted slightly in favor of the passing offense, right? So a little bit, you know, 53, 47, 55, 45, that kind of thing. I think the strength of our team is on the run game. So my passing offense would be slightly lower in terms of statistical projections and, and just how good we are, you know, moving the ball through the air. I'm a little concerned about the receivers. Dante Pettis was very underwhelming and there's been a lot of chatter, obviously in our forum about, I don't want to call them struggles, but just not, showing out the way we kind of anticipated that he was going to break out this year. And it's only preseason. So I don't really know, you know, what's going on there, but so there's a little, that's, that's probably my biggest concern is what's going to happen with the youth of this, these receivers, are they ready to consistently get open and have decent years? I don't know what Debo's role is. Is he just a rotational guy? It doesn't seem like he's going to start. Is Dante Pettis ready to really be a number one receiver? These are questions that I, I can't answer at the current point in time. And so there is a big variance for me with regards to where our passing offense is going to be this year. I, it would not surprise me if Jimmy Garoppolo threw for like 4,500 yards. All right. Sorry. He's having a lot of fun. <laughs> all right. And child's all about having fun. So, uh, and it also wouldn't really surprise me if Garoppolo threw for like 3,500 yards. Uh, so I, I think that there's a, a big difference there. We'll find out. I'm not bullish on the passing offense, but I'm certainly not entirely skittish on it either. So uh, I think it's going to be largely an average to above average passing offense. I don't really foresee us being a great passing offense, though. I, I do think right now with the youth of the receivers uh, that that's going to be capped just a bit. I do, from a yardage standpoint, expect a, you know, a slight statistical regression for George Kittle. I mean, he was the only player in the NFL last year that had, I believe, three 70-yard touchdowns, and he's a tight end. Like, he may never have another 70-yard touchdown in his career. I mean, that's how much of an outlier that kind of that kind of situation is. And he almost had a fourth if you go back to the Vikings game that he dropped. So, right. I just I don't see that as likely to repeat. Well, so let me cut you off real quick right there because there's a there's a stat that I had read that is that goes along with what you just said. So I just wanted to interject it. Yeah. Um, apparently, the last tight end to have three 70 plus catches in a career, uh, you're going back to to Marcus Pollard with the with the Colts. So to have three in a season, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not likely to happen again. 
Right. And, and that is an amazing statistic, by the way. And Marcus Pollard really like, wow, OK, how random is that? Now, again, I, I didn't verify it, so I'm just going off of what I read. But that's, yeah, just a crazy statistic. It's not. Yeah. Just- so I, I mean, so I don't expect that in particular to, to continue. So I think we'll be an average to slightly above average if I if I had to just make my guess. Uh, I think it'll be an average to above average passing offense. There's some flaws uh, in the in the offense, particularly with the youth of the receivers. So we'll find out how that shakes out. I, I do think it's capped a little bit on the upside, uh, but I think our floor is really high just because of Shanahan and the fact that Garoppolo is better than both Mullins and Beathard by a, a decent margin. <laughs> so I also agree that I have complete and total faith in Kyle Shanahan had it since day one. I thought he was always the right hire. So not, not, not turning on it now. I think this is the year that he's going to get his offense running close to how, how he wants it. So I'm a little, little higher on Garoppolo. I think, I think Garoppolo is the right quarterback for the system. And, and in general, um, I think he's really going to show that this year. Cause I'm betting on him playing 16 games. I know it's a hard bet, but I have to, it, some year, some of our players are going to have to play 16 games. It's just, <laughs> It's like statistically improbable that they won't. So I'm going with Garoppolo. He plays 16 games. So I think rather than average to above average, I, I think I'm more in the above average to good. I, I think it, you know, in a best case scenario, I think it could be a top 10 offense. Um, otherwise, I'm expecting somewhere in the, you know, kind of 12 to 14 range. I think that's where we'll we'll slide in just because of the receiver. That's the part that worries me a little bit more. You mentioned you don't know if Debo Samuel is going to start. I don't either. And I think it's weird because I think the person that he's competing with to start is Dante Pettis. You know, initially we thought it was going to be Pettis and, and Debo were going to be the starters. That's what, after the draft, what everybody thought. And I think Goodwin, you know, just held on to that role by the fact that there were two young guys who didn't take it from him, not because he did anything in particular. So I think if Samuel starts, it's going to be Debo and Goodwin that are out there to begin. But I think this year you're just going to see a, a nice, healthy rotation with all the guys that are healthy. So I think we'll see a lot of, uh, you know, Richie James this weekend. I think we'll see a lot of Bourne uh, if he makes the active roster. I don't know what the, the active roster is going to look like because we don't know what's what hurt is going to be, you know, if he's going to be active or not. But I, I have I think the passing offense could be really good. I do agree. I, I, I hope for more of a 50-50 split. I think that's the strength of our team is that we have a good rushing offense that can balance it. And that rushing offense is going to be what opens up the play action, which is which is key. That's going to be the key to the season. It's going to be the key to getting, um, you know, Kittle down the field. It's going to be key to getting the receivers open and letting them make moves. And then, I mean, Pettis, we didn't really get to see it in the preseason because he, you know, there's no game plans or anything. But I think on a lot of those plays, that's where Pettis shines is when he has the, you know, the long time for a play to develop and he can, you know, people can't cover him that long. So I think he'll I think he'll look better once the season starts. I'm not too worried about that yet. I know a lot of people are, you know, questioning if if uh, he's the guy, given that his preseason was so underwhelming and Shanahan's called him out a couple of times. But I think it's I think he's going to respond well. I'm I'm hoping so. That's my thoughts yeah. there. I think Garoppolo, uh, the stat line I'm looking at is we'll say 3900 uh, yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 ints. I think that's going to be a, a realistic outlook. And that's a lot of touchdowns. I know I'm going high on it, but I think the offense is going to be better this year. Well, I, I actually, I, I don't mind the touchdowns. I um, would put the interceptions a little bit higher. I think he's 15, 16. It's just going to be my gut call right now because I think he's got that gunslinger mentality and he's going to make some bad choices. I think the touchdowns is fine, actually, because, 
you know, we don't – Coleman and Brita and, and Mostert, they they have their skill set, and I don't know that their skill set is short yardage. No, and that's not, that's not the skill set of our offensive line either. So we were marginally successful in short yardage last year. We were basically average on an efficiency basis. But goal line was was pretty atrocious at one point of the season. I, I It was really bad. I, I don't remember the exact statistics, but really early in the season – was not successful at all. And and that's not atypical for, for this sort of offensive line scheme. So I do think we're going to throw the ball a lot inside the red zone. I, I do think, you know, once we get, you know, we're eight yards out, seven yards out, I think if we have first and goal from the seven, I it would not at all shock me if there was three passes, you know? So I think the touchdowns, I think it's a good call that they're slightly elevated as, as opposed to, you know, something in the low twenties. So with that said, what do you what do you think about the rushing offense? Who do you think is going to lead the team in rushing yards when the 2019 season closes? It, it's really close. Um, so Coleman, no doubt, is going to be the, the the de facto number one, but he's not going to out snap Brita by a significant margin in my in my in my opinion. I think it's going to be I think he's going to get about 55 to 60 percent, and then I think Brita is going to get something like. 35 to 40, and then Mostert's going to be sprinkled in there. I mean, Mostert might not even get 5%, but just, you know, round up for right now. So I'm going to give it slightly to to Coleman, but, the you know, it's kind of a hard guess because I think Breed is going to be far more efficient. He's going to get he, he's going to get his yardage in, in fewer carries, and I think they're going to end up with similar yardage. My dream scenario is that we would end up close to, like, 2,500 yards rushing next year. And that would be an amazing statistic. It's Seattle was the only team close to it last year. It's probably unlikely, but if I could get slightly over a thousand yards from Coleman, 800 from Brita, 400, 500 from Mostert, and then random wide receiver reverses and things like that, that pick up some yards. If I could get as close to 2,500 as possible, I would love it because I think the strength of this team outside of the red zone is going to be that run game. I think our, our offensive line is, is built for that. I trust them much more on the run game than I do, you know, in, in pass protection. I think those running backs all have capability of explosive plays, you know, Brita, Mostert, they, I mean, they both run, I think, you know, sub four fours. So if they, if they get any sort of space, they can just take it to the house on any given play. And and Coleman has shown the ability to break out plays as well. So I'm really excited for the potential explosive plays on the rushing offense. Now, that being said, obviously, we're not going to get anywhere close to that. We're probably going to be, I, if I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say we probably rush for around 2000 yards, which is still very promising. But this is really where I think this offense is going to be really good. And I would love to see us run the ball a lot run the ball well, keep the ball out of other offenses' hands. I mean, you just wear down teams with that run game if you're if you're good at it. And keeping offenses like the Rams off the field is very important. Watching that preseason, that fourth preseason game against the Chargers, you just look at what, what the, they, they couldn't really, you know, they struggled a little bit to sort of uh, take control of the game in terms of the scoreboard. But in that first half, it was ugly in terms of like time of possession at one point they they had like 20 minutes we had like six minutes it was really ugly uh so they just couldn't finish their drives basically for the most part but when you keep the ball out of the the opposing offense's hands they 
you know, it's, it's unlikely they're going to score a bunch of points. And I think that's really big. So I'm, I'm really bullish on the rushing offense and I hope that we, you know, work that into the offense a lot. I agree. I, I, as we said, I hope it's close to a 50, 50 spit split. Um, <laughs> but that said, I, I have, I think for you, the, the best case scenario is the team hits 2,500. I don't think that's, that's too far away from being a possibility. Um, you know, last year we had 1,900, which sounds like a lot, but it's because you had all of those players who just, you know, racked up yards in the system. Because you think, you know, Alfred Morris had over 400. Jelf Whistlin had 260 or so. Um, you know, Raheem Mostert had about the same amount. And then, of course, Brito led the team. So 1,900 yards is where we had last year. And that was with a lot of injuries and, you know, guys that, like most or Morris that were carrying the ball when they shouldn't have been really in the system, putting Pullman in over that, you would expect that's going to, that's going to go up quite a bit. So I think 2,500 is good, but I think the best case scenario is that Matt Breida is the one who ends up leading the team in rushing attempts um, by the end of the season, not because of injury to Coleman, but because he overtakes him. I, I think Breida is just, he has the kind of rushing ability where he can be a true star if he can stay healthy. Go back to the Kansas City Chiefs game last year. Going into that game, he was leading the the league in rushing yards at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Even for a while after that, he was the the leader by far in yards per attempt. He just wasn't getting the the carries early on in the the season. But then after the injury, that's when when things dipped, and he still finished the year with a 5.3 yard per attempt. That's a that's an astounding amount uh, of yards per attempt, um, given how often he did carry the ball and how often he carried it while he was injured. So I think I think 2,500 is possible, but I think the best way to get there is if Breed is the one who ultimately carries the ball a lot more. And if he carries the ball a lot more, that means he's probably healthy, and that's a good thing. So yeah, I I, I mean he's definitely the best running back on this roster. I, I don't think there's any doubts on that. And I don't know if he's got the body, and I, I've, I've lamented that a couple times on the board. Like I just don't know if he can hold up. He's had shoulder injuries going back to to high school, but I have a dream that. There's going to be one season. I don't know when it is, but it's going to be very similar to like Robert Smith's last year. For those old enough to remember Robert Smith, tremendous running back, always kind of forgotten because he could never quite stay healthy. And then in his last year, he stayed healthy and he showed the actual talent that he has. And he was amazing in his last year. And then he walked away. But I have this dream that Breed is going to have one of those seasons at some point in his career where he just stays healthy. And he plays 16 games as a running back number one for a team, hopefully ours. And the season is just incredible, you know, and and he shows how much talent he actually has because he is amazingly talented. And I hope that at some point he really gets to show that off to the NFL. Same here. Now, the question, of course, is if he does it this year, how much money does he want in the offseason when we'd have to resign him? Um, since this is his last year under contract with us, uh, maybe him leading the team in rushing is not the best case scenario after all. I don't know. Uh, uh, I just, well, it, we might. I, I have to check, but he is he an ERFA next year, or he, is he a restricted I, free agent? I think he would be a restricted free agent because he's been on the active roster since For the. Rookies. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because Mullins is an ERFA, but he wasn't active his first season, so that makes sense. Yeah, so I think he is an RFA. So I mean, that does give us some leverage, which is good. But yeah, I can I could see the I could see the problem there for sure because as we're seeing, these running backs want their money and they want it immediately, you know. And I don't blame them. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting conundrum. I wonder 
if we just tender him and make him play under that, or if we give him a long-term deal. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting question for a, a later pod, maybe. <laughs> Definitely. So moving along, let's go over to the defense. Um, obviously, outside of Garoppolo playing, the the biggest impact that's gonna ha- that we're gonna have on the 2019 roster compared with 2018 is the revamped pass rush. Um, rumors have it that Bosa looks good. He might be ready to go for Sunday, which would be tremendous. It's the first time we'll, any of us will really get to see him in pads. So, uh, what do you think the pass rush looks like this year? So the the question: Can Bosa and Ford stay healthy? How long? How many sacks apiece? So I I do think that it's going to be better later in the season. And the reason I say that is because with Bosa missing preseason, I think he's going to be highly rotational the first few games. He might not say like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if week four, week five, he doesn't have a sack yet. I just don't, I think he's going to be in that situation where he's, he's slowly building up his snap counts, maybe in Tampa. I'm not expecting much of anything in week one. I would say if he plays 25 to 30% of the snaps, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now I say that and they're going to put him out there like 62% of the time, but I, so I, I think it's going to be better on the back end of the season than it is at the start. Health is a concern for me. Absolutely. Because yeah, obviously Bosa has been hurt twice already. He's had injuries dating back to high school. So that's a concern. D Ford has the, the, one of the more annoying injuries for a pass rusher, which is he's got back injuries and I believe he's got some knee issues. So assuming health, I do like Ford to hit double digits for sure. I would say somewhere between 12 and 14. Bosa, because I'm projecting him to start off a little bit slower, I, I think he's going to be around eight this year. And I think he'll get most of that in the last seven games of the season. I think you know, he slowly builds up. Maybe he gets one or two sacks in the first four or five weeks and then, you know, finishes up strongly with like, you know, five or six sacks in the last eight weeks. So those are the obviously the linchpins of this edge rushing unit and our pass rush. I do think we'll see a little bit of regression from Buckner uh, in terms of sack count because that can be so variable. You know, he two years ago, he had 22 quarterback hits, I think. And only three sacks. And then last year he had 20 quarterback hits, but he managed 12 sacks. So I don't think he was any better last year than he was the year before. I mean, he just finished more. He was able to finish more sacks. Uh, I think 12 is really difficult for an interior lineman to get, although that seems to be going away. So if he hits eight to 10 is kind of where I'm pegging him. But, you know, when you have that kind of pressure from those three people, you know, that's a really good start because then you still have guys like Day who can come in. is going probably going to get a couple sacks. And I, I would assume that Blair is going to end up with three to five, you know, as a rotational piece. So I'm really excited for the pass rush. It's just going to be about the health. Same here. It's definitely going to be about the health. But let's fight over numbers because <laughs> I'm going completely different than you across the board. Wow. All right. Let's, let's start with Bosa. I think if Bosa plays Sunday, he gets his first sack Sunday. First career sack. I'll call it right now. I think he's going to I think technique wise, he is going to surprise a lot of people. And I don't think the Buccaneers are the team to try and, you know, to try and block him right now. So (laughs) I'm going to say I I think I agree with you that he's going to be a rotational piece at first. Um, I think probably more than 35 percent. I think he'll see probably 40 to 45 initially. And then that'll grow as the year goes. So I do agree that more of his sacks are going to come on the back end. But I just think Tampa Bay sets up perfectly for him. So I'm going to call a sack for week one. Um, I'm going to say I think he I think he hits double digits. 
I don't think he's going to be somebody who's going to take long. I've been higher on Bosa than most. Most think, you know, when we were talking about it, that he had such a high floor that his ceiling wasn't that high, that he might be, you know, a 12-sack guy. I think it's higher than that. I really do. So I, I, I think in his first year, he's going to do stuff to surprise. So moving on, I'm going to go to Buckner next. And, you know, you put yourself out on a limb after the very first episode. So let me do it. If there's a guy on the roster with 20-sack potential, it's DeForest Buckner. And I'm, I'm like really struggling with how much he doesn't get the the unadulterated love on our forum that he that he deserves. I, I think Buckner is the only guy in the NFL that can possibly make it uh, to Aaron Donald's level on the interior as it currently sits. And I'll put myself out on that limb. I think he has the potential to do that now that he has edge rushers because he's never had that before. His best his best uh, rushers next to him again, Elvis Doomerville in the last year of his career, and Ahmad Brooks. That's the best he's ever had, and he has two that should be significantly better than that now. I think going along with that, putting Thomas on the inside, uh, when he gets those rushes, I think there's there's just going to be no way that offensive lines are going to be able to key on him like they have in previous years. I think the quarterback's going to be funneled up more, and I think Buckner is going to close a lot more. So that's me going out on a limb. Ford, we're probably right around uh, the same agreement. I think he's going to be a double-digit sack guy as well. I think we possibly could have three, which would be phenomenal. I, I, I think him and Bosa are both going to be around the 10 spot. I'll, I'll put Buckner. My true prediction for Buckner is probably going to be about 13 or 14. Not, um, you know, not 20, but I think he has that potential. So like you said, D Ford had the potential, but predicted 13. I say same thing. Uh, I'll predict that he has 20 sack potential, but go with 13 as well. Can, can I just say that it's completely ridiculous that I, I just went through the defensive line and completely forgot about Solomon Thomas. Like, that's how good the defensive line could be is that I didn't even mention him because I forgot he existed. And if he's on the interior, I agree. He should be well better, you know, much better than he has been obviously from the edge. And that's another piece that could add half a dozen sacks quite easily. And I yeah. completely forgot he existed. You, you forgot about Armstead too, who's another guy who can easily get, you know, another three to five sacks in there, even though he's not the, the best pass rusher but he's he's still a guy who will will get there eventually this so this team there's no, no doubt in my mind this team could lead the nfl in sacks i I, and, I think we both can agree with that right yeah oh definitely um i mean i think what it's going to happen is we're going to have to get uh the right pairings on the field at the right time i think that the with how much depth we have at that position group i mean what we might have julian taylor might be the only guy who doesn't suit up on game days because you figure the rest of them should unless they you know, they don't expect to ever need a nose tackle. And maybe DJ Jones will be inactive like he was um, sometimes last year. But otherwise, they're all going to be out there. They're all going to be able to rotate. And I think all of them, you know, are guys that that could play on any starting line in the league, probably. Um, you know, there's not or I shouldn't say it that way. I should say any of them can be starters in the NFL um, with a lot of our depth pieces. Um, Sheldon Day, the, the one that I'll hold out of that conversation. But otherwise, I think the rest of the guys could. Uh, I'll be a starter on the right team. Absolutely. And I mean, and that's one of the concerns I have about Armstead, you know, next year is that he might not be sexy, but Armstead's going to be in demand next year. And I I think his price tag might be too high for us. uh, And that's why he might not be back because I think he's going to be in demand. And I think he's going to get legit offers well above what we could probably afford to pay him for what he does. But I I think he's definitely going to be in demand. So yeah, I agree with you. I think, a lot of these guys are starting anywhere they go in the NFL. 
And yeah, this this defensive front could easily lead the league in sacks. Definitely. And I agree with you. I don't think Armstead will be here next year. Um, shout out to him, though. He He's one of the, the Balky holdovers that that made it all the way through his his first contract uh, with the new regime. He was a guy that the forum thought was going to be traded for years. And he here he is on the 53 once again in his, his final year on the contract. I think because of money, we, we're not going to be able to bring him back. And that's fine. You know, we have the depth now where we can uh, withstand a loss like that. And that's good because then that means comp picks. So I, I think that's a best case scenario. Moving along, um, you know, I'd love to talk about projecting defensive backs and rushing defense. We we do have them on the outline here, but uh, I think that might be a little bit more difficult. And looking at the the time here, I, there's another one I want. There's some other conversations I want to get to. So let's ask the question: Is there anyone? And this goes for the roster. This goes for um, the staff. Any anywhere in the organization uh, who's on the hot seat? Well, first and foremost, uh, I, I think it starts at the top, which is going to be Robert Sala. He's got to put together a good defense this year. And, you know, with so much of his defense being altered this year, you know, going to the wide nine, things like that, he's got to be feeling it just a little bit because we've now converted his front to, you know, Kosurik's defense. So if you're if you're solid, don't you feel like maybe like, oh, um, yeah, if this defense isn't good, they're just going to replace me with him. They're already halfway there. Right. So uh, I think that's I, I think it starts there and he's got to put together a defense that is wholly competent. It doesn't have to be a top five defense. I'm not asking for that, but you cannot lose games because this defense can't get it done this year. That's just not gonna, that's just not going to fly. So he's the start. Uh, and then I'm going to forego the most obvious candidate. And I think we both know who that is from a player perspective. I'm going to go Richard Sherman. The reason why is because of his salary and because of the money, the way it sits, sets up for the next you know, year or two, and the guys who are going to need new contracts, with Sherman's age, if he regresses a little bit, I don't know how you bring him back next year. I think he has to play pretty well to justify that cap hit next year. I think that is an interesting, an interesting idea that I, I don't think gets a, gets a lot of thought. And I know it's a little bit out of left field, but yeah, I think it's Richard Sherman. I think he's got to play very well in order to stay on this roster next year with that that salary and with the money as it currently sits. That's a that's a very interesting choice. I agree on Salah. So Salah is the you know the person that I essentially wrote the question for because we thought last year that he might have been gone. You know, I argued at the point that. While I wanted him gone, I thought, you know, we don't need Salah. I don't think he does anything for the defense, really. It, to be fair, he didn't have a pass rush. And the lack of interceptions, the lack of turnovers in general, I mean, those are going to regress towards the norm. We always knew that. So to add a pass rush, I think it's fair to see, you know, what he can do with that. But I agree, if he doesn't if he doesn't hold up this year, if the, if the defense is a big letdown, if we don't get the pass rush that we should, then I think he's he's got to be the first to go. Really interesting call on Richard Sherman. I'm actually going to go across the field and say that Akella Witherspoon is the one who's on the hot seat. So he's young. He's a he's a, was a third round pick in 2017, but he's entering year three. This is he has to step up. So to me, he's the one who has to prove that he's a starter in the NFL because he's had streaks of good play. He had a 
you know, in 2017 when he came in, he played really well. And then last year, just before the injury, the last couple games, he was playing really well. So he's shown that he can do it. Now he has to do it consistently and he has to do it throughout the season. Um, you know, he has to he has to prove that he can be one of the two starters. I, I don't think you're far off on Richard Sherman. I, I feel the same way. You know, he has to be he has to be good enough to to justify that contract. I, I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. So I'm, I'm less concerned about it. I think Witherspoon is the bigger question mark out of, out of the two of them, given that, you know, if Witherspoon doesn't play up to, to potential this year, then next year we're looking at 32-year-old Richard Sherman. Um, Barrett's probably gone because you and I both agree that even if he has a good year, we can't really rely on uh, him staying uninjured to, to give him a second contract. Witherspoon would be gone, and then who else is out there? We're looking at the the bottom of the roster guys in, in Reed and, and Mosley, and I don't think either of them are going to be prepared to be a starter. So I think Witherspoon is the 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 player the most on the hot seat. I mean, obviously, that then other than guys like Garoppolo and Ward who have to also make make good this year. Yeah, and and of course, I mean, I'm going to mention just because I it has to be mentioned, but obviously Solomon Thomas has to has to put up or shut up this year. I you know, I don't know that he's for sure gone if he struggles, but you know, there was some talk this year about possible trades and things like that. So, we'll see how that shakes out. I wanted to sort of stay away from him for the time being because he's going to be you know, hopefully in his right position. And I'm hopeful that he can finally perform what we thought he was going to perform, you know, when, when we drafted him. So, but I think, I do think he just needs to be mentioned. I agree. Um, so finishing up with the, a look at our team, uh, what do you think our record is 2019? So I think we are in a glut of a tier of teams that could finish anywhere with between six and 10 10 wins. So, I mean, I guess if you take the, the mean or whatever, you know, eight win team, nine win team, nothing in that area is going to surprise me. I think luck does play a role for, for a lot of teams that is sometimes not attributed always, you know, the way that the fumbles bounce and whether or not you can recover them. I, there's been so many studies that just talk about how, you know, that is completely random a lot of times with like fumble recoveries and, and things like that. So, uh, I we definitely have some flaws and I'm going to try and project as much health as possible because once, you know, health starts taking its toll, you know, and that's part of where the luck comes in. But you just can't. It, it's really so hard to project. So we have some we have some flaws and we have some things that I'm not sure how it's going to pan out for the season, such as the receiving group. Uh, so I could see us if we get a little unlucky win six or seven games. If we have better than average luck, I could see us win 10 and be in that playoff hunt. I don't think we're a legit Super Bowl contender at this point. I do think we are a fringe playoff team. I will take that right now. I think that's, you know, in three years, that's that's a good step. I do think we were hindered a little bit by the injury to Garoppolo last year. But, uh, you know, last year we were a very, very popular sleeper team. And I never for a second thought last year that we were anywhere close to that. I always targeted this year as the year that we might make the playoffs. And I do think that we are in line to potentially do that, but I think that there are a lot of teams in that same boat. So uh, give me a, give me a prediction. What's the record? You, I'm not letting you off the hook. I am going to say nine and seven. I, I dislike some of the travel schedule, but matchups with like Tampa Bay and, and Cincinnati early on are promising. And I think we're a better team than both of those. So 
I, I think nine and seven is 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 a is, is a good record for us this year. And I think if I had to put money on it, that's where I would lean. Okay. So I'm going to go with 11 and five. That's the, the, the prediction I made last year. And I, I still think that there was a, a chance of it happening if Garoppolo had played for the full 16 games, because clearly there were a lot of games that the, the backup quarterbacks were kept it close, but couldn't pull it off. And I think Garoppolo might've. So I'm, I'm sticking to my beliefs. I'm, I'm hoping for, for good health because that's, Health permitting, the only way it's going to happen is if we don't lose key players. And um, those are basically summed up in four guys, Garoppolo, or let's say five guys. Garoppolo, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, Nick Bosa, and D Ford. Those five can stay healthy, then I think it's going to be a great season. I think we can withstand some injuries to key guys elsewhere, but those five cannot, nothing can happen to them. Wrap them in bubble wrap all year, do what we got to do, and it's and it's 11-5 and five team. I agree with you. It's not a Super Bowl team yet. Um, I didn't think that last year either. I But I think Garoppolo and Shanahan, I think that combination on offense is good enough to win games. And I think the Garoppolo at the end of 2017 is the right uh, Garoppolo. It was the it was the Garoppolo that we actually have. The guy who can win games, you know, manage games right at the end of the game and, and come out with those victories, which he did uh, consistently at the end of 2017. So, I think it's going to be a lot of close games. I don't think we're going to compete um, 11 and five. That might only put us at a even a wild card spot because I think the Rams can can still be better than that. So you know maybe a playoff win would be nice. But even if not, just getting to the playoffs and then next year filling those extra holes. And I, I so I'm going 11 and five. I think it's going to range. Uh, I think nine and seven is the low end. Again, but that's all health permitting. So, so let me ask you because I, I do think that this needs to be asked. So our contract with Jimmy Garoppolo is is very interesting for for those who are aware. Essentially, all his dead money is, 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 is I mean, he's pretty much free and clear. I think he's got like four million dollars in dead money. His contract was very favorable. If he gets significantly hurt or if this team bombs, do you bring him back next year? Oh, that is such a tough question. That It really is because I, I believe in him so much, but. Um, if he gets injured again, then he's gotten injured in three separate seasons. You have to seriously question if you can pay a guy like that the, the salaries he's going to have, because even though the dead money's gone, the salary cap hits are still going to be significant if you keep him. Maybe if he gets injured, if he's willing to, to restructure and take a deal kind of like Malcolm Smith did, then you bring him back. But otherwise, then, oh, then he might have some really, really big problems in 2020. But I'm saying health. 16 games. He's going to start 16. He's going to put all that to bed, and it's going to be it's going to be good. I'm 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 being optimistic. That's not my true self. That's not my true nature. But I'm I'm doing it. I, I'm actually glad you you said that though because I'm more amenable to bringing him back if he's mediocre this year than I am if he gets hurt again and misses the season. You know, after like week three. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's really interesting. I was just really curious as to as to where you stood with that. Yeah, I think if he's if it's just mediocrity, um, then you do do bring him back because it is his first year as a starter, and um, you might get see a 2015 to 2016 Matt Ryan type jump uh, next year if if he if he goes through. So I I think it's just injuries. If he gets injured and he misses a bulk of games, like a huge bulk, if he misses a game or two, I think that's not a big huge problem. But um, if he misses like 13 games again, then you can't you can't keep relying on that. So, but moving on. 
that's a look at 2019. Before we close the podcast, I want to talk about 2020 because we are the 49ers Future podcast and the forum that we're representing is a place to discuss upcoming draft prospects. So let's take our first look at the 2020 draft. Who's on your radar? My my assumption is is that next year in the first round, we're going to be looking offensive line or we're going to be looking into secondary. So those are those are the two big areas. For the offensive line, there are there are plenty of tackles who are who are out there. It's made a little bit more tricky because we don't have a second round pick right now. But CJ Henderson as a cornerback would be would be interesting. Trayvon Diggs, um, who is Stefan Diggs' brother, is really interesting. Good size, plays at Alabama. On the offensive line, I feel like <laughs> I I feel like Trey Adams has been draft eligible for like five years, huh. uh, but he'd be up there uh, for, for certain. Andrew Thomas, it would be a guy I'd really like. If we could get him to fall in terms of like maybe into round three, and it's so hard to project guys this far out, right, in terms of where they're going to end up, uh, you know, in a whole nother year. But like Tommy Kramer for Notre Dame, I love Notre Dame offensive line prospects always have probably always will they haven't the the work they do is just amazing there so he's really high up on my list as a guy that i would really like but without a second round pick i don't know where he fits a couple of guys obviously i think those are the two areas i think you know i don't think we're going to be picking high enough like my, my hope is for for delpit uh if we want a safety so i think we're looking cornerback um would be high priority because i after Delpit, I don't really – the safeties are kind of okay. Not a lot, a lot of guys that I love, not a lot of guys that I've really done a ton of research on yet. So we'll we'll get to that at some point. But so cornerback and offensive line, if this season completely tanks, if this season is awful, it's going to be really hard for me to pass on Jerry Judy. I, he is a guy – like I know wide receiver is not something that, you know, we've just taken three in two years. But he's – one of those receiver type prospects that you look at like AJ green, like you just know he's going to be successful. And those kind of guys are hard to pass up. Now I don't want to, I, I purposely did not use Julio there because Julio was such a freak, but yeah, I, I just look at Judy and I'm like, he's, he's going to be successful in the NFL. He just is. So he, he would be really hard to pass up if we're drafting in like the top seven. Uh, which I don't expect, but just out there. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the edge players and quarterbacks, I, I don't think we're going to be in the market for if we, pa- you know, if we if we pick that high, uh, depending on what happens with Garoppolo. So I'm looking, I'm looking offensive line. I'm looking cornerback uh, as the most likely. Uh, and uh, you know, for me, Trayvon Diggs is a guy I really like. Excellent. So I think I'm looking at the exact same spots. Um, interior line is the is the spot where it makes the most sense because. You have, I mean, Lincoln Tomlinson, I like him a lot. I, I know you do as well. Um, so I, I feel comfortable there. I think his contract's good. Um, we'll still have him next year, so that's fine. But this year, the other, the center and the right guard, that's, you know, there's we're going to learn a lot. So Richburg, hopefully he can stay healthy and be the guy that we saw at center when when he was picked up um, and given the, the huge contract. Because if not, I, I think, you know, we can probably get rid of him next year. Although, of course, then we're in the depth problem again. Um, but Mike Person on the wrong side of 30 and is is really just a, a filler at right guard at the moment, but we haven't been able to replace him. So I think the first round, that makes a lot of sense. I would not be opposed next year if we spend two or three picks on offensive linemen. 
um, and really, you know, fill up that depth there because as we see this year, as we see around the league, it doesn't exist. So maybe it's worth spending um, a few picks on them. There's a there's a trio of guys at Oregon uh, that I think I, I really like. Um, all can play along the interior, and I think they're more mid-round picks. So if we look in the third round and, uh, you know, one of them is available, I think that might be a good good guy to get for depth if, if we get there. Otherwise, I agree with you. Defensive back is is a, is a good spot to look at the, the cornerback and the safety spot. You mentioned Jerry Judy, so let me let me mention a receiver as well. Um, if we're picking a little bit later and Judy's gone, I also really like C.D. Lamb. Um, I think he has a a lot of potential to be a to be a really good receiver and kind of looks a little different than some of our guys. So I, I think he's a guy who can who can score touchdowns. And my guess is if we need a receiver, that's the that's what we need more than the the guy who can get open and and move the ball between the twenties. And, and shout out to to Chris, right? <laughs> He's yeah. gonna love you for mentioning one of his Sooners. <laughs> that's, that's why I did it, just because so uh, we haven't seen him comment about the podcast. So now I'm gonna tag him and be like, oh, we gave a shout out to Chris Sooner, and here it is. We're we're picking CD Lamb, but seriously, I think Lamb's a he's a great receiver, a great player. I'm I'm excited to see him in the NFL. Um, saw him a lot last year while I was watching tape of uh, Hollywood. So we'll see. So just uh, if if I had a preference right now, um, let, let's just assume that we're going to pick somewhere between like 15 and 25. I think I would prefer to go secondary in the first round. I really, really like the depth of the, the interior line class with regards to, you know, uh, the second and third rounds. Now, I know that we don't have a second round pick right now. You know, maybe we work something out. And, and end up with one, or maybe we just end up with a third round pick or what have you. But I think that there are guys who are going to be available in that range who can come in and potentially start for us right away. And I, I think that would be my preference at this point is, is go secondary in the first, go interior line in the second, third, wherever we end up drafting. You know, uh, I think that would be the best way to, kind of get your value from the spots. Yeah, I'm not against that. Um, but if we need to spend a, a first-round pick on an interior lineman, I, then I, I hope we do it. I mean, there's there's a good chance that we come out of this year, and we don't feel like we need to, to spend a first on, on the secondary. You know, maybe Moore is a guy who does really well at free safety. Maybe Sherman and Witherspoon both hold up. I, I mean, I could see those scenarios. I can see I could see us needing interior linemen pretty badly next year regardless, so. Worst case scenario to me is Staley bombs. He's had a shaky preseason. I think we all just kind of chalk it up to, you know, he'll be fine. It's Joe Staley. If Joe Staley bombs this year, I, I, I'm nervous because, you know, we suddenly don't have the pieces to the, the draft pieces to, to take the people we need. And then you really have to start looking at tackle oh, because, yeah. uh, you know, school, I mean, he's certainly not ready right now. And I, I don't know that he's ready next year. So, uh, but if Staley bombs, our, our our needs become, you know, really, really interesting given that we're missing a second round pick. Definitely agree. It's going to be very interesting, um, but there's a, a long way to go before we really have to start thinking about that. But maybe we'll start seeing some some hints after after week one, which is what we'll talk about next week on the episode seven of the podcast. For now, that's the that's all the time we really have for this week. Thank you so much for listening, making it again all the way to the end. We really appreciate you. Once again, I need to let you know to subscribe to us wherever you're listening, whether that be Google Podcasts, Spotify, through Anchor FM, however you find us. I hope you subscribe, um, like, and share. 
share the share the podcast with all your 49ers friends. It'll be good for them to, to listen in. Hopefully, I think it would be. Any last words? Yeah, start listening to the podcast, Chris. <laughs> uh, that might be better to tell him on the forum um, beforehand <laughs> and then give him to listen. <laughs> That's true. I probably should have thought of that. But yeah, all right. All right, so so a late shout-out to Chris Sooner. Hopefully you're listening. Um, otherwise, everybody else, uh, take care. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.